Welcome to Church at the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to be here. Lord, we're grateful for who you are and what you've done in our lives. And Lord, as we talk about the vision of Church at the Well, I pray that you would um, ignite fire in us, um, that you would help us to see it truly, um, but not just see it, Lord, but act on it. And so, Lord, open our hearts and our minds and our ears to what you have to say. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Okay, so um, we're going to be diving into a passage of Scripture that's pretty long, and I'm going to go through it pretty quickly. When I'm asked to go speak at other churches, this is pretty much what I speak on. Um, people say, hey, where did the vision of Church at the Well come from? Where did the idea of the coffee houses come from? So if you're new here today, you're going to kind of get an overarching understanding of what we do and why we do it. If you are a regular attender or a member of Church at the Well, the point of this is to kind of get rid of the stuff that isn't making sense because it's not part of the vision and bring us back to kind of the core of what we do. And so I'll start this way. So the vision of, well, we talked about mission last week, and the way that I define mission is I said every Bible-believing, gospel-teaching church should have the same mission, right? We know that. And because that mission comes directly from Jesus. It was his commission. It was go and make disciples. So last week we said the purpose of the church is to make disciples. And my challenge to you was as a believer in Christ, you should be making a disciple and being discipled all at the same time, right? And if you're not, then you're not on mission, according to Scripture. And so now what we're going to do is we're going to take kind of the big view of this is what the church of Jesus is supposed to do on mission. Now what's the vision of each individual, local, Bible-believing church? And that can change a little bit. I mean, every church is made up of different individuals. Paul talks about this a lot. There's spiritual gifts that are given. There's a makeup of a church. There's different locations. I learned really quickly when I was pastoring in California that when we were going to move to Boston, if we literally just picked up this huge church in, from California and, and planted it in Boston, it wouldn't work. It's not everybody's the same. Not every culture process is the same. Not every challenge in every culture is the same. And one of my convictions coming from that is I grew up in a home that ultimately led me into a Christianity and understanding of Christianity that was very complacent. It was okay, if you show up at this church building five times a week and you're in six different Bible studies and you're constantly here and doing stuff and filling your head, then you're great. But the problem was what I was watching was the church had no relevancy whatsoever in its community. And so I thought, well, there's got to be something different. If, If the goal is to make disciples, then Shouldn't the church be a launching pad for seeing disciples go out and actually live out the gospel wherever it is that they are? So I had, I began to pray, Lord, what are we going to do different? We also know there's challenges in a city like Boston, right? Twelve years ago, as we're looking at this city, we're realizing, okay, it's less than 2% evangelical. All right? So let me put that into context for you. There are more Christians per capita in Iraq than Boston. Think about that for a second. That, that's 
that should crush our hearts. It's, it's difficult to comprehend. We have a lot of issues that we have to deal with. Uh, many churches have attempted over the last two decades to come into a city like Boston, and frankly, what I've studied is if they've done more harm than good. Um, oftentimes, they come in, they have their agenda, it doesn't work out, it's hard, and they leave. And then people are left with, well, what do we do now? And there's other, other issues that we've had. I mean, if you've seen the movie Spotlight, you know that there were some issues with some abuse that went on in some other church, uh, some other churches, and then all churches kind of get associated with that. Um, so now, you know, I, I remember when we first got here and somebody said, well, what are you here to do? I'm here to plant a church. And the, the majority of individuals that I met were like, why? What do you do for a living? Well, I'm a pastor. Why? Why would you do that? And what was sinking into me was basically, okay, the Lord was showing me the complacent Christianity is going to work, and the reason that the city is in the condition that it is is because Christians have failed to live it out. So what do we do to activate Christ followers? What do we do to, to create something that becomes a launching pad? And I'll tell you, as we go through this vision, oftentimes what I'll get is people will come in and they'll be like, you know, the church needs to do more things. And I'm like, no, you need to do more things. You know, I, I think one of my concerns is what happened to me in the past is I felt like an, over, an overemphasized event planner where I was just... Hey, come, 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 right? And what I was creating was individuals who they believed that themselves being on mission was just inviting somebody to church. I was like, that, that's not it. That's not how it works. I mean, I know that the church launched after Jesus left, but Jesus, you realize Jesus never invited anybody to church. Like, hey, you know what you need to do? You need to change your life and then come and we're going to all meet together here, Right? And that's going to be the end of it. So I'm going to give some props to Chick-fil-A here for a moment. Um, I don't know if you guys know Chick-fil-A. We call it Jesus Chicken. And I don't even know if that's accurate. Um, we were sitting in a Chick-fil-A in California. I was looking around. And then somebody told me Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be cool if Chick-fil-A would offer their space to churches to meet on Sundays? Right? I mean, we can preach in this space, and there's a kid's play place over there, and kids can do their thing, and I've always been one that's like, parents, you need to train your kids, so after you learn, then take them home and train them up, right? And so that began to cause a vision, I guess, to come to fruition. What would it look like to go to a city like Boston where it's difficult to plant a church, and create something that's relevant for the community, that gives back to the community, that ultimately blesses the community, that allows us opportunity to build relationships with people. And then what if that was closed on Sundays and church met there? What if it actually wasn't a church building? What if instead of pouring all of our money into more facilities, any money that we got we were actually able to pour back into our neighborhood? What would happen? And so as you know, you know, us, the loves, all moved out here, and we began this process. It was a um, parachute 
with every aspect that could possibly be. We got here, we raised them enough money to get here, and then I told everybody, okay, go get jobs, and we all did. And we started building relationships. And over time, people said, well, where's your church? We want to start coming. And a church was planted. I think that's the way it's supposed to be. I've kind of come to the conclusion that a church should probably plant out of necessity, meaning you, you, you come into a neighborhood and you begin to build relationships and then a church forms out of those relationships instead of it backwards. You know, this philosophy, especially in a city like Boston, where if you build it, they will come, does not work. And so while we were kind of going through all of this, we were studying this passage of Scripture. And like I said, I'm going to go through it very quickly. There's a lot here. Um, It's John chapter 4. And it spoke so clearly because it was resonating with everything that we were desiring to do as we built a church and looked at something like a coffee house. All right, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John 4. There won't be any verses on the screen. And this is how it starts. And when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, weird as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So we've got Jesus, and he's with this crew, and they're traveling around. And there's a a really important component to this beginning opening verses where it says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Had to pass through Samaria. Now, if you know anything about Scripture and historical context, you know, this was unusual. Samaritans and Jews didn't get along. So oftentimes... Jews, when they were trying to travel somewhere, if, if the straightest distance to get there was through Samaria, they would actually go around the long way to avoid Samaria. I mean, it was, it, it was radical when Jesus gave a parable where the Samaritan was the hero, right? Because that was so outside of the cultural norm. And so we have this moment where Jesus says, I have to go through Samaria. Now, he's Jesus. He understands what's about to happen. He knows that he's got a divine appointment with this woman. But what we learn here is that there's this conviction in Jesus. The Holy Spirit has guided Jesus to say, this is where you have to go, and you need to go. And he says, I'm going to go. I don't care if this is where I'm supposed to be. I don't care what my friends think. This is where the Holy Spirit is pushing us. This is where we have to go. Next week, we're going to talk about convictions and how you get those, right? What's the difference between a desire and a conviction? Jesus is convicted. He says, we have to. A conviction is a a belief that necessitates action. So we have this, if you can kind of picture the movie version, right? We've got Jesus, and he probably looked at his disciples like, we're heading that way, and we're going to go through Samaria. And they're like, what? All right, so everybody put your blinders on. We're not going to pay attention to these people. We're just going to just pass through as quickly as we possibly can, right? Don't make eye contact, right? And it says that Jesus was tired from the journey, and he goes to this place, Jacob's well, and he sits down at the well, 
and it says it was about the sixth hour. It says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So we've got Jesus sitting at the well by himself. The disciples are off to Shaw's to get some food, right? So off they go. And Jesus is there. He's tired. He's by himself. A local, a native, right? This woman approaches him. It says the Samaritan woman said to him, no, sorry. A woman from, sorry, let me just start this. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans? This is the craziest response. Like, think about this just for a minute. Like, all of the issues that I just briefly went over between Jews and Samaritans are coming out in this woman's response to Jesus. All Jesus asks is for a drink of water. Jesus says, hey, here's this woman. She's coming. Hey, can I have a drink of water? And she says, sure, here's a drink of water. No, she, she looks at Jesus. and I don't know how she knows that he's Jewish. I don't know if he's dressed a certain way or what's going on there. His name tag, hi, my name is Jesus. I'm a Jew. I don't know right? But she says, how is it that you, a Jew, are talking to me, a Samaritan woman? This isn't supposed to happen. You're not supposed to talk to me. Do you not understand? Like, first of all, there's some issues here. You're a guy. I'm a girl. I mean, you think it's scandalous now. Do you know how scandalous it was back then? Jesus is talking to a woman, and he's not talking to just a woman. He's talking to a Samaritan woman, and she is overwhelmed that she's even being talked to. This breaks my heart. Like, if I were just to stop right here, who is it that you're not willing to talk to? Like, who, if you had a conversation because of previous behavior, they'd be like, I can't even believe you're talking to me. Like, who is that for you? Because it was evident back then, it's evident now. We all have these kind of barriers that we put up and say, well, okay, I understand who Jesus is. I know I'm supposed to live out the gospel, but I'm really supposed to live out the gospel in the ways that I'm comfortable and with the people that I'm comfortable talking to. And Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to just break that barrier right now. The woman's surprise should mean something to us. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, Jesus goes spiritual on her. Right? I don't always recommend that we do that right away here. <laughs> right? Oftentimes, we need to build relationships. Now, as we go through this, you need to understand that this is Jesus, and he has a little bit of an advantage over us. Like, he knew this appointment was coming. He had already done his homework. He can see the woman's heart. He knows exactly what she needs to hear and how. We don't have that, so oftentimes we have to feel things out a little bit, right? Maybe it takes a while to build this relationship to where we get spiritual, 
But let's just say that's happened. I mean, oftentimes we'll meet somebody, say, in a coffee house, and it might be a year of building relationship before we actually get to do something that felt like, okay, let me tell you who I am because we've been listening to story for a long time. And that's the way it should be. But Jesus goes spiritual on her. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? He's piqued her interest. For those of you, some of you have actually, um, you know those moments when you get to see behind the curtain, like the Wizard of Oz? Some of you are actually products of like ministry that's occurred maybe at a coffee house or at somebody's work. And my, I guess what, now you're going to kind of get to see behind the curtain. Because yes, we have an agenda. We don't just serve coffee and serve the community so that we feel good. We do it because we believe that Jesus has something for everyone. And ultimately, as we build those relationships, our hope is that one day, as we listen to your story and love you and care for you, you might turn that around and say, now tell me your story. And every time we share our story, you know what's going to be in it? Jesus. She's interested. He's drawn her attention. What drew the woman's attention? Like, it wasn't just the spiritual question. It was the shock that Jesus was even willing to give her the time of day. Like, you're crazy, but I want to hear what you have to say. Right? Like, you, you've just plowed through, like, every religious, cultural, social barrier to have a conversation with me. And you're doing it. So let's... So she asked the question, where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well, and we drink from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. If you've ever been to the well coffee house, you know it's on every cup of coffee that we send, we sell. That's the verse. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. I love this. Jesus goes spiritual on her, but she doesn't really get it, right? Like, she's almost associating with, like, kind of a miracle man. So she hears the, the, this idea of, okay, Jesus has gone spiritual on me. He's crossed these barriers. I don't really know this man, but he's come to me. And now we're having conversations, and he says something spiritual, so I'll, fine, I'll go spiritual with him. And then Jesus says, well, if... If you knew who, you, who, I wa- who I was, then you would ask me for living water, and you would never have to draw water again. You'd never be thirsty again. And she immediately ch- takes that to kind of her life, right, her lifestyle. And I would imagine that one of the things she's thinking is, okay, um, I have these heavy jars or buckets or whatever it is that she's carrying every day, right? So the significance of a well is that ultimately in old these olden days, right, they would actually build the well in the center of town because everybody had to have access to it. So oftentimes, the well was like the center of activity for the town. Everybody at some point from somebody in their family was going to have to show up at the well at some time during the day to get this water that was necessary. 
So if you can kind of think of the well as like CNN or like Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, all rolled into one. This is where everybody got their gossip. All right. This is where typically the prophets in the Old Testament, when they were given a message from God and they had to go deliver a message to the people and they would say, thus says the Lord, typically it was a place like the well. It wasn't like flyers went out and, hey, the prophet's going to speak. Right? It wasn't, okay, text everybody we know because the prophet's coming. It was the prophet would go at the time where the most people are going to be gathered around the most area, and typically that would be the well at a specific time. It was hot. It would be when it was cool. And then a crowd would gather. She's listening to this. Man, it, it's so laborsome to carry these things every day to get water. And she, she rationalizes this. You... You have the ability, Mr. Magic Man, to keep me from having to come and get this water. I want that. Like, great. She misunderstands, but she's, she's there. She's engaged. Jesus has piqued her interest. There's something about Jesus and the barriers that he was willing to break that she's willing to continue the conversation even though it's gone spiritual and she's not fully grasping or understanding it. That's pretty awesome to think about. Many of you have done this. You're like, man, I said something. I can't even believe they're still talking to me. <laughs> right? So she says, give me this water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. This is that no he didn't moment. Right? Okay. Now once again, Jesus is Jesus. He can look into her heart. I don't typically recommend that you start calling people out in their sin when you don't know them. Okay? However, there comes a point when that's going to happen. We know that the truth of life is that every single person that lives on this planet and has ever lived on this planet suffers from the same disease, and that disease is sin, and we know that Jesus is the only remedy for that sin. So we know at some point in whatever conversation we're in, what's the agenda? We want to provide the remedy. We want to do the best at our ability to show, declare in love and truth the remedy of Jesus with whoever we're having conversation with. Why? Because we want to make disciples. Why? So that they will turn around and make disciples. It all ties in together. Jesus, I mean, when I said who would you not talk to I think we really have to grasp the nature of this conversation. Go and get your husband. Well, I don't have a husband. Well, you're right you don't have a husband because you've had five husbands and the one you're now with isn't your husband. So what you've said is true. Okay. If you met somebody today who had been married five times, you would be like, it's probably you. Right? I mean, come on, five times married. Right? That's a lot. 
I mean, it's normal now, but <laughs> five times married, you would probably be like, the issue probably wasn't all five of your partners, right? There's probably some, some like, truth to say, okay, you're the issue. I mean, this is, this is a woman who's gone through it. In fact, as we study this, what we're going to realize is there's high probability that this woman is probably a prostitute or has worked as a prostitute at some point. And I want to put that into the context here for you because Jesus knows this woman. He's known her before he's gone to Samaria. He created her. He is not, he's in a country that he's not supposed to be in, talking to a woman that he's not supposed to talk to, from a nation that he's not supposed to, a nationality he's not supposed to be conferring with. He's broken every religious barrier because Jews don't talk to Samaritans. And now, not only is he doing all of that, he's talking to this woman who has obviously been ostracized by her community. Why? Because back then, a lot of religious belief systems, actually there's still some today, would say, because of your field of work, you need to die. Also, there's this shame that would have gone on. I mean, you, just, you have to look at how history worked back then and society worked back then. Women had no rights. So it was, man, you, five times, like, you're a mess. It's interesting. I can't have time to dive into this. But one of the things that it says is when it says it's the sixth hour, that's fascinating. That's important. And all I'm going to tell you, you study it. But all I can tell you is this isn't the normal time to come draw water. And everything in me and everything that I've studied about this would say that because of the woman who she was, she's going to what would be a public place at the time she's going to see the least number of people. She's not only expecting not to see anybody else there, but she's definitely not expecting to have a conversation with somebody that's not supposed to have a conversation with her. So now, now Jesus is beginning to cross a sin barrier. What sin do you hold to this place where you go, that is as low as it gets, and I don't want to associate with them. Because Jesus just broke that. In every way possible. Conversation, not supposed to be had. Introduction, turned to spiritual conversation, ultimately turned to Let's talk about your life and your heart and what you need. You know, if you didn't know the rest of the story, it'd be interesting that you're like, what's this response going to be? He's just confronted her. You don't know me, and you've just confronted me. I don't know how you know this stuff. But dang, this has now gotten intense. And if you've ever had a conversation like this, or if anybody's ever had this conversation with, with you like this, oftentimes, you know what we try to do? We'll deflect. Right? It's like, I'm not talking about that. And that's exactly what the woman's going to do. Now, this has been my experience. Educated individuals. This is an educated city. Flat out. 
right? It's called the Athens of America. We have more than 100 universities in Boston. It is an educated city. It's oftentimes why when pastors come here, I say, you better, you better know what you believe and how to defend it biblically, and it better not just be something that you've heard and you're passing on. Because you're going to be pushed. The people here are educated. They want to know. They're going to challenge you. It's an educated city. And oftentimes what I find is an educated city, you educated people, they often have opinions about what they deem as spiritual. And whatever, whoever they're coming in contact with, they have developed a deflection. And typically, it revolves around some sort of spiritual question that they believe nobody's going to be able to answer, and it's going to stop the conversation. Let me give you an example. I grew up going to a Christian school, and I was that kid. Okay? So, we're studying Noah in the Ark. I think I'm in third grade. And I raised my hand, and teacher's like, yes, Kevin. And I said, what happened to the fish? She says, what do you mean? I go, well, there's saltwater fish and there's freshwater fish. If the world flooded, what happened to the fish? Now, I have a biology degree, so I can actually tell you what happened to the fish now. I'm not going to. You can study that too. Right? But that was me. And what, what was I doing? I'm like, I have an ace in the hole. I believe that I can ask you a spiritual question that you can't answer. And that's what this woman's going to do. You ready? The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem was the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation comes from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must also worship in spirit and truth. And she would have gone, Ugh. Now, here's the thing. Can we just consent to this? Jesus can a answer every spiritual question. <laughs> All right? Like, you know, it's, he's God, so he can do it, right? He knows. Oh, yeah, I remember that. We can't. Right, what I'm looking at, the emotions of this woman, is she's saying, I am now being confronted with something spiritual, and it is now beginning to come toward my heart. And that heart is, you have sin in your life, and there's a remedy that needs to be given to you. You're living in misery, and you don't even know it. And right now, your life is defined by surviving and living instead of thriving. And that's how we have to view everyone around us. Yes, you may be feeling like things are good. Like, the Lord, you might even feel like you're being blessed. But if you don't know Jesus, you can't have joy. And that's really what everybody wants. We just try to find it in other things. If you're here today and you're trying to figure out church world or what is this Jesus thing, I'm just going to tell you. I'm going to tell you a little bit of your story even though I don't know it specifically. You're seeking for something that gives you joy. And every time you try and trust that something is going to give it to you, it completely disappoints you. That's stuff. That's people. That's organizations. That's work, that's spouse, that's friend, anything. And every time you're like, ugh. Right? This woman throws out a spiritual question. I, oftentimes, here's the thing. I, I believe myself to be decently educated. However, I can't answer every question. 
right? And I would say that it's at this moment that most Christ followers go, this is why I won't talk about Jesus. Because what if they ask me a question that I can't answer? So I'm going to give you the answer to that. Are you ready? Lean in. I don't know. Are you trying to tell me that we are always supposed to know every single answer to every single question? It's okay. When somebody, you know what my teacher said when I said what happened to the fish? I don't know, Kevin. Now, I think we can follow it with, let me get back to you on that. I'll get you an answer. It may take some time. I may actually have to do some study, or I may have to go talk to somebody that might know the answer to this question, but I will get you the answer to the question, but right now I don't know the answer to this question. Why do we fear questions? You claim to know the creator of the world. He created giraffe. And we fear that a finite individual is going to ask a question that we're not going to be able to answer? Like, if, if that's all it takes to stop people from talking about Jesus, I mean, what an easy, what an easy thing by the enemy, right? Hey, just ask him a question. Here's the reality. We need to know that everybody has these, right? Uh, sometimes I'll have conversations with people and they'll just keep firing them at me. And I'm like, oh, I'll answer some of these. But I also know that in the process of answering those, that's not really what they need. I have never in my, you haven't either, because it's biblical. You've never been able to convince somebody to follow Jesus. Like no matter how much you know, you're not going to be able to convince this individual that Jesus is Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's got to move. Light has to penetrate the darkness. And we know we're not that light. We represent that light. So something has to happen. Jesus has to move. One of the coolest things I think about this passage is that, do you realize that every time you're having one of these conversations, we can just picture Jesus right next to us? He's in that conversation as well. So Jesus answers the question. He can do that. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Wow. I, think about just what happened right there. She just went, okay, you answered my question. That was pretty cool. I don't even understand the answer. That was an attempt to deflect. But now let me tell you something I've heard. I've heard that there's this Messiah that's coming, and when the Messiah comes, he's going to tell us everything. And you know what Jesus says to her? Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, we can't say this. In fact, if you do, we got to get you some counseling. Okay? But you know what you can say? I know him. Right? Elf, I know that guy. This is the gospel moment. This is Jesus declaring who he is to this woman that he's not supposed to be talking to. This shatters every sinful misunderstanding of who the gospel is for across the world. 
Jesus is not supposed to be talking to this woman. And he's just offered her eternal life. The way that I define all of this is I believe that because of the conversation that Jesus was willing to have, and this happened in a quick amount of time, for us it may take a while, but all he's doing is breaking down barriers. Slowly breaking down barriers. He breaks down a relational barrier by having conversation. He breaks down national barrier by showing up. He breaks down the gender barrier by being willing to cross social constructs. He, create, he breaks the sin barrier by confronting her and her sin. He breaks the gospel barrier by explaining who he is. In Boston, we have what, we, what I call the stained glass barrier, where people don't want to walk into a church. So how do we break a stained glass barrier? Well, how about we meet in a coffee house? Sometimes the conversation is something like, well, okay, well, where does your church meet? Well, actually, we're meeting in the spot that I've been meeting you every day. We just make it look a little bit different. This is the vision. The vision of Church at the Well is to say, we want individuals to come in, meet Jesus, and then go and do the work. Yeah, we want to encourage you. It, it's funny, like, at Church of the Well, we ask people to do three things. That's it. Three things. That's it. So if you're like, oh, I want to be a member of Church of the Well, great. We're going to hold you to three things. We want you to come on Sundays. Why? Because we want to be together. There's encouragement here. There's something powerful about worshiping the name of Jesus collectively. There's something powerful about sitting under the word. I, you know, I'm preaching to myself here. <laughs> Everybody's getting preached to here because it comes from Christ. It's his word. So we want you to come on Sundays. We want you to be a part of a small group. What's that? So that people that you are around can understand how you're living and hold you accountable to the way that you're saying that you want to live. Push you. And the only other thing that we ask you to do is live out the gospel. What does that mean? Well, I don't know. We talked about it last week. As you are going, I don't know where you go every day, but I do know that if you know Jesus, you're supposed to be taking Jesus there with you. You're supposed to be having conversations like this. I would a hundred million times more rather you have conversations like this than honestly sit in a Bible study. And you're like, that sounds blasphemous. No, you also need to study the Bible. But that's what we're called to do. So I don't know. I, you know, what, what is your job? Jesus is there if you're there. Holy Spirit lives in you. What are you doing to reach your job? What are you doing to have conversations that you're not supposed to have? Well, my work says I can't. Then be creative. We, you realize that creativity comes to us because we serve a creator God who thought of a giraffe? Be creative. We have to do the negative side of this, and I'll do it quick, but I want you to see the pressure. Verse 27, just then his disciples came back. They marveled. Sorry, I get them. <laughs> 
His disciples came back and marveled that he was speaking to a woman. If that doesn't make you cry, I don't know what will. These men have been following Jesus around. They've been watching what he's doing. And they're overwhelmed and can't believe that he's breaking barriers. What does that say about us? They marveled. They couldn't believe it. Jesus, how can you talk to her? How can you show her love? How can you possibly cross those barriers? Do you not understand the world that we live in, Jesus? There's rules. You don't get to break those rules. Let me read this again without crying. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking to a woman, but nobody said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to people, Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. I'm going to come back to that for a minute. Let's stick with the disciples. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has someone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor, others have labored, and you have entered into their labor." Teaching moment, but sad. Jesus, we're supposed to make a club. She's not part of it. Like, you're ours. We're, we walk around, we get taught, we, we show up, we, we follow you, we do all of these things. Why are you having conversations with people you're not supposed to have conversations with? Let's put it in my context or my experience. Jesus, we've built a church, and it's about our kingdom. And we're making a club and these four walls, and we need people here as often as possible because I'm so important, I need to be heard all the time. So let's grow our club bigger. We don't want to break barriers because then we're going to see people who aren't like me. I remember I was in seminary, and this is an actual statistic, okay? There's no offense here, because I'm going to blow it out of the water. But this is what the professor said. When you plant churches or when you are ministering to people, you need to look for people who are like you, because people are most comfortable worshiping with other people that look and act and sound like them. I went, there's the problem. Because you know what heaven looks like? 
It doesn't look like me. There's a moment here that I want you to get, and if you get nothing else out of today, this is the moment. When we go back to what, I, what happened to the woman, the, the, the men, these men, they come back and they're uh, astonished that he's talking to this woman, and what does it say? That she leaves, and what does she go do? It says, so the woman left. This is verse 28. She left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me... <laughs> All that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Let me explain to you what's going on here if you've missed it. Jesus broke barriers for a woman who was trying to avoid people. And after a conversation with Jesus, the first thing she went to is to the people that were ostracizing her. She lost all shame. She met Jesus and went on mission. As far as I can tell, I, I don't, I've, I've searched this thing. This is the first missionary in Samaria. This woman. She, she, th- her life changed immediately. She went from, I came here to get water and avoid everyone who's making fun of me, to I met Jesus and now I've left my water jug behind and I'm going to the people that don't want to be around me. Let me put this in our language. Jesus broke barriers for a woman who then turned around and immediately began to break barriers for others. That's mission. Right? And then, look, this is what he says. While he's teaching the disciples this cool stuff we talk about, oh, you know, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few and all this stuff. It's awesome stuff. Accurate stuff. Do you know what I think he's doing? Listen, he says this. He says, as he's going through it, he talks about, look, I tell you, lift your eyes. Do you know what I think I'm doing? He's pointing at the woman. Hey, stop looking at me. Look at her. Look what she's doing. That's what you are supposed to be doing. Why don't you get it? You just shopped at a place where everyone was lost. And you're coming back here concerned about what I'm eating? I just had a conversation with a woman, and look what she's doing. She's doing your job. Tell me who the Christ follower is. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what? The woman's testimony. In the book of Revelation, it says that the enemy is defeated by the work of the lamb, the blood of the lamb, and the word of our testimony. She began to share her testimony and her encounter with Jesus, and it said that many came to Christ. As far as I can tell, the disciples did squat. It says that Jesus stayed there a few days. Let me just pose this question. This is the vision of Church of the Well. This is what we're here to do. I, every, every Sunday, you come in here as an individual, and I will tell you, hey, we're going to learn 
what the Holy Spirit's asking us to learn here. And then I want you to go and with every grace that the Lord gives you, do it. So what would happen if a church did this? Picture it. What would happen if this little tiny church in East Boston actually said, wow, we're going to have, we're going to do this. I'm going to stop being about what you can give me and start being about, I know Jesus and I need to get it out. What would happen if this little tiny church became such a launching pad that it actually changed the nature of the city? Is that possible? Yes. Look at the book of Acts. Why don't we see what happens in Acts? Well, maybe it's because we're locked in four walls all the time. Maybe it's because the church isn't having these conversations. Maybe it's because this isn't the focus. Maybe, especially in the United States of America, we've become a consumer-driven religion. Feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. If what you're hearing is, oh, he's saying we shouldn't get fed, you've missed it. You don't get it. That's okay. You will. The way we, the way we uh, if you go to our website, you can read the Church of the Well Vision. This is what it says. It says, to apply the gospel of Jesus to the city of Boston. To apply the gospel of Jesus to the city of Boston. To apply the gospel of Jesus to the city of Boston. Application. That means we have to be working, having conversations. Let me tell you what won't, doesn't apply to the city of Boston. Nobody wants to walk into a church. To apply the gospel of Jesus to the city of Boston so as to change it spiritually, socially, and culturally, and to use that to impact our city, our nation, and our world for the glory of Jesus. You know what the ultimate vision is? That a little church like this actually becomes the greatest sending, launching platform that Boston has ever seen. Now, here's the thing. This is one of the reasons I talk about vision. Some of you, I'm okay. Some of you go, ah, it's not really what I want. And I'm like, okay. That's okay. I'm here to tell you, this is the vision of church at the well. We're asking you to do three things. If you're saying, man, that's not really where I'm at. That's not what I'm feeling. That's, I want something different. I, no judgment. Come talk to me. I'll find you a church. This is what we're about. This is why we build coffee houses. Do you realize that every single moment, I, I, I've actually had people that attend this church on a regular go, man, I'm really bored. And I'm like, man, what am I doing wrong? I have never been bored. There's too much to do. You realize you can come to a coffee house anytime you want and strike up a conversation with anybody you want at any given day at any given time. There's always people here. Why are you bored? There's stuff to do. 
this is the vision. This is what we do. This is why Church at the Well exists. This is why we believe in marketplace ministry. This is why we're trying to break barriers. It all comes down to what's transpiring here. I had somebody push back on me once and said, Kevin, do you realize that if you do that, that your church is never going to get above a certain amount because people are going to keep leaving? And I'm like, yes. Yes. What are they leaving for? Are they going to go leave, plant a church? Do it. Leave, plant, please. You know, over, the, the, over our duration of Church at the Well existing, we, we have, I've calculated statistics of my own. We have an, people here an average of two years. Two years. Why? Because the city is very transient. So I go, okay, two years. So we don't see a lot of Christ followers coming to Church at the Well. So we have individuals that have come in based, built on a relationship. They meet Jesus. We begin to challenge them to do something and then wherever they go whether it be they're going on mission or they have to move their family to another place and they find themselves in another church then our hope is that they will be a productive member of that church that will continue to do this this isn't about building our kingdom it's about building kingdom of jesus as soon as this becomes what i have said it's supposed to be i should be fired because this is the vision. All right, what do we do with this? This is my question for you, and this is it. Ponder this for me. Who are you in the story? There's a representation of everybody in the story here. All right, so let's run through the characters very quickly. Some of you are the woman. Some of you have been fighting this life and being disappointed continuously with what you've been pursuing your entire existence. Some of you feel hopeless. You're, you're even at a state where you're avoiding others because you, you just can't take it anymore. You'll go to the well, but it's going to be at a time when you can avoid the people that you're scared of. You need to meet Jesus. That's the remedy. Just like this woman, you need to meet Jesus. I can't save you, nor will I. There's not a single person in this room that can save you. Jesus is Savior. You need to meet Jesus. You can keep trying to do what you want to do, but I'm telling you, even by your own experience, you're going to have the same results. You need to meet Jesus. You don't need more head knowledge. You don't need your questions all answered. You need to meet Jesus. If you're here today and that's you, you can meet him today. Turn to the person next to you. Say, do you know Jesus? And if they say yes, say, can we have some coffee? To meet Jesus. Who else is in the story? Some of you are Jesus. And I'm not saying you're Jesus. But some of you, man, 
I just sit back and I go, wow. Look at that person go. They're just, they're living it. They're having the conversations. They're, they're working it. They're, man, they've grabbed hold of the vision. Look at this. It's amazing. Here's my encouragement to you. Keep going. Right now in the United States, since I've been a pastor, it's the hardest time to ever do ministry. I've never seen it this hard. You are getting more pushback, more hate, more anger, more pain, more difficulty than I've ever seen. It's in my lifetime. And I'm not saying it's the worst. I'm just saying in my lifetime. Keep pushing. Our job, Jesus says, he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And what we as disciples need to understand is that gates are defensive, meaning the enemy owns the territory. He has built gates. It is our job to attack those gates. And some of you are knocking them down. Well done. Keep knocking them down. But here's the thing. Arrows are coming. Enemies got the high ground. Paul even said they're fiery arrows. He's going to do everything he can to get you to stop attacking the gates. But you know what? Gates of hell will not prevail. Keep fighting. Some of you are the townspeople. You don't know anything. You're just pointing fingers. Oh, God, thank God I'm not her. And there's the worst ones. Some of you in here are the disciples. And I will say, um, if you're a Christ follower very long, you're probably going to fit every one of these categories at some point in your life. Don't be the disciples in this context. If you're in awe of the vision, you're in awe of what Jesus is doing here, we need to revisit the gospel. You don't own it. It owns you. So I don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing in here. Um... I get passionate about this stuff because I believe this is what we're supposed to be doing. And I only say that because that's what Scripture tells me to do. I fail at it. I've told everybody in here, I'm going to fail you at some point. I'm not Jesus. But this is what we're about. If this is what you want to be about, then maybe Church at the Well is the place for you. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to blow it. We're going to, sometimes we get off track. Sometimes we start building a bunch of other baggage. Um, and every once in a while we have to go, oh, we've got to stop that. Because that's taking us off mission. Off vision. But I don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing. I, I would say this. I, I really believe that this story is for everyone. And I don't know who you associate with best in here, but I will say you either need to be encouraged to keep running or there's some changes that need to be made. And I don't know what those are, but I encourage you to do it. 
So that may mean you need to talk to somebody. It may need to be, you need to repent over something. It may need, man, I just need to, to in front of everyone, just come forward, kneel, and pray to the Lord. It may mean I need to take a really long walk on the harbor and really hear from the Holy Spirit. I don't know what it means, but I do know this. Every time we come in contact with God's word, something in us is supposed to change. So what is it? So our, our singers are going to come up. We're going to sing a song here, and I'm just going to encourage you. Don't leave here the same. Like, let the Holy Spirit do something. Respond. Let me pray. God, thank you for your word. Lord, I just want to pray for every individual here. This includes me, Lord. I, I ask that in this scenario, your church would reflect Jesus in every way possible. I want to pray right now for anyone here that is relating to the Samaritan woman, Lord. I pray that you would regenerate their heart even as they sit here, Lord. That your light would pierce their dark heart. That you would give them courage and boldness to talk to someone. And Lord, for your church, forgive us. Forgive us for thinking this is about us. Lord, get us, make sure that the vision is there, that we're, we're really following, eliminate the things that would be a distraction. And Lord, would you help us break barriers? Would you help us be willing to do what Jesus displays here? Lord, we believe you. We believe that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Lord, may we live our lives as if we believe it. Help us attack those gates with what you give us, Lord. And may it all be for the glory of Jesus and nothing more. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.